Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is the Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat not required. Wow. Welcome back from our big two-month hiatus. We're going to start off by catching you up on everything that we've been up to over the summer. Then in Games We Play, we're going to review The Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-Earth, a fantastic board game with a really immersive companion app. And speaking of apps, we'll look at some of our favorite creators over at D&D TikTok. Yeah, that's a thing. All of that in our Kickstarter roundup, coming up on this returning episode of The Dapper Meeple. So, hey, welcome back. Let's talk about what's been going on this summer. It's definitely been a busy summer, um, that's for sure. Obviously, not being able to do recording as as much as we would like to. Um, having moves and house right. buyings. and Our studio was set up in my house, and I needed to buy a new house because Mom Meeple moved in with me. <laughs> So uh, we did that, and then um, I will never buy a house again. That's my plan. Uh, just never will I want to go through that process ever again. I feel like yours went like pretty smooth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ours did too, but I understand that, that just stress level. Yeah, yeah. And then we moved all of our stuff, and then we went down and picked up a truckload of mom's stuff. And we finally are set up. I have a decent studio that we're still working on. So if it's if it sounds a little tinny this time around, uh, we're working on it. Um, but yeah, so that was the majority of it. Uh, in the meantime, um, we got a chance to uh, play some Magic. It was my first experience. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, we had some gaming in there. Uh, but really, it just felt like the summer slipped by. I think this this feels like the first weekend coming up that I've actually had free this whole summer where I don't have anything specifically that I have to do. <laughs> right. But hey, we are back. We'll get back on a schedule um, that you can count on relatively. Uh, and, uh, try to get back out there to put some stuff back out in the world. Uh, I've missed recording. I've missed doing the show. I'm just now remembering how to work all the equipment. So Yeah, we especially want to thank all of you who uh, hang around and come back. And uh, any new people joining us, uh, welcome to the, the Meeple family. And uh, we hope to uh, grow that number, of course, and uh, uh, want to hear from you guys. So if you have any comments, things you want us to talk about, um, questions, things like that, by all means, reach out to us. So let's start and talk about what we missed. Uh, I guess one of the biggest things in the board gaming world is the announcement of the Spiel de Jars winners for 2021. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the Spiel de Jars is a board game award that is given every year. Uh, it is German in its origin, if you couldn't tell by the name. Uh, it originally started in 1978. Um, it was planned to be kind of rewarding family-friendly game design and just excellent games overall in the German market. Um, it has become much more than that. Uh, now it encompasses um, all different kinds of games, not necessarily those of German origin. 
Um, the benefit of the Spiel de Jars for those that win, uh, they can expect their sales to spike um, sometimes as large as 30 million copies. Jeez. So this is this is a big deal if you create a game you want to at least be nominated because that that pretty much puts you in the realm of 10,000 copies plus. But if you can win that award, by all means, that means you made it right. Uh, this year there, um, there's actually a couple different levels of the Spiel des Jahres. Um, there is the regular Spiel award, which is just kind of your, your everyday board game. There is what's known as the Kinner Spiel, which is more of the, collector hobbyist board game level and then there's the kinder spiel which is the kid version or the kid level game uh the two that mostly you want to pay attention to are the spiel and the kinder spiel uh those are the ones that board game hobbyists and enthusiasts really like to pay attention to so who won it this year uh so this year it was won the spiel de jars was won by a game called micro macro crime city uh, in this game, it is almost a new iteration of Where's Waldo uh, that really takes that kind of to the next level. The game comes with a pretty large mat. Uh, it's about 30 inches by about 43 inches, and it is a sort of collaborative drawing just like Where's Waldo was. There's a bunch of creatures, people, buildings, all sorts of things happening on this map. And what you're looking for, you have these cards that will tell you about certain crimes that are going on in this still picture. And the cool thing about it is, is that you can actually follow these crimes. So one of the examples that I saw was there are a couple of kids who steal one of the people's hats. Uh, you can see kind of in one part of the map how they're kind of in hiding with, I think they have a fishing pole, if I'm not mistaken, that they're trying to hook the guy's hat and then run away with it. You see in a later part of the map is him chasing them when they're running away with the hat. And then at the final part of this crime, you see them sitting on like a park bench playing with the hat. So it's really neat the way they kind of were able to introduce the progress of time all in a still image. So this is one of those, um, I, it's finally starting to restock. Uh, I saw that uh, it's available in quite a few different online retailers. Um, but this one looks like a fun one to check out, uh, especially if you enjoyed like those kind of I Spy or Where's Waldo, those type of, of games that you used to be able to play. Now, where is the that game? Do you know who put that out? That game was designed by Johannes Sick and was published by BlackRock Games and a few others. Uh, they did, looks like, come out with a um, like Spiel edition. So that should be hitting shells before too long. Nice. Uh, but definitely a fun and interesting game to check out to play either by yourself um, or also up to four players. All right, for the Kinnerspiel Award... This one went to a game called Paleo. Uh, Paleo was or is a game that was designed by Peter Rustmeyer and was actually published by a bunch of different people. One of them, the main one, was Z-Man Games. Okay, yeah. Uh, they actually put out uh, one of the first copies of this. Uh, so Paleo is a game um, in which you are a Stone Age tribe and you're trying to work together to both find food, survive the elements, um, and develop technology. In this game, it's got a couple of 
uh, kind of interesting set pieces. Um, there's like a little uh, cardboard boneyard, what they call, which is where you get rid of things. Um, there's like a little technology shelf that comes in the game. And there's also a cave painting that you're, is your main goal you're trying to complete. And the way you complete it is by doing various tasks um, and creating different tech and things like that. Um, all trying to reach towards that goal of becoming like a surviving tribe. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love that, that we've turned basic human instinct into a board game. Well done. Uh, Z-Man Games, aren't those the guys that make Pandemic? Uh, yes, they are one of the publishers. Okay, nice. Nice. So definitely got some, I mean, you're talking about a company that's got some experience. Yeah, the art and stuff in it was is really well done. Uh, one of the things like there, it's it's almost a survival type game where there's a lot of different things that can kill you, um, and your one goal is to finish that cave painting, um, so that people will know that your your tribe existed. <laughs> so it's it's a fun little game. It's definitely more geared towards hobbyist gamers. Um, it's mostly deals with cards and a couple tokens and things like that, but it's a little bit rules heavy, but definitely one of those that, um, does def- definitely deserving of the award. Nice. Nice. Let's see. Other than that, I mean, the summer seems like it's been kind of quiet. Now we will talk about, I mean, in the world of D and D, there have been some major changes that we talked about before we went into the summer break. Um, that uh, Wizards of the Coast decided to roll out. Um, for those of you who don't keep up with the lore or don't keep up with the novels, um, there was some changes or expansions made to the idea of the drow. Um, there was an interview that was done by R.A. Salvatore, who is the writer of the Dark Elf, The Legend of Drist, and his latest book that came out expanded what we know about the drow. Uh, Wizards of the Coast has really been working on taking a hard look at their game and trying to eliminate as best they can a lot of the old racist stereotypes that were in the game. Right, and I think part of that comes from some of this lore dates back, I mean, to really a different a different era. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the, what, the world we're living in now, it's has begun to change so much. Um, And of course that happens every generation, but I feel like we are finally taking hard looks at this type of stuff, things that were glossed over and just, you know, passed over as that's the way things are in past generations are really being challenged at this point, which I think is a great thing. Uh, I think it's excellent that this generation is, is really revisiting this stuff and saying, Hey, you know, we can have more like we can have a better story without having to use these kind of offensive stereotypes. And I think a lot of it, too, is, you know, fantasy for a long time has been the genre that is very much straight white dude. Like, I mean, we don't we have kind of held on to this as, you know, this is ours. Look at all the I mean, give me a sci fi movie that was before you know, in the 90s, the 80s, even the 70s that, I mean, most of the characters are white dudes. You know, we've had our time in this. And as we're looking to expand sci-fi and fantasy, 
you've got you've got to let more people in. That's how you expand. I don't know if anybody's unsure of what the word means. Um, so yeah, like we're taking a hard look at everything we did. You know, like you said, I think this is this is something that we need to do. Like if you have something and you're like, hey, we want everybody to be involved, or we want to open this up to more people, and other people come in and tell you, hey, this makes me feel a little weird. It means that you need to look at what you're doing and why. I think it's just as simple as that. Right. And not to discredit, you know, these authors and things that, you know, really started this movement of fantasy literature and and stuff because they were a true product of their time. But the fact that we're able now to take a step back and look at it, I think really is, is it's awesome because we're finally able to get to the point where we can bring in, like we can truly invite everybody to the table. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, where you came from, race, color, orientation, anything like that. There should be a place for you to come and feel comfortable, you know, at a table. Right. So there's an article that came out on Polygon and it was published uh, beginning of August. And it's an interview where they sit down and talk to Salvatore. I think Drist is probably one of the most prominent characters to come out of D&D lore. I think that's I think that's a pretty safe statement. I mean, anybody who reads any of the books or follows any of it is eventually going to find their way to Salvatore's writing. And part of it's because there's like 33 books out there. It's hard not to trip over that stack. Right. Or if you play in a game with a Dark Elf Ranger that somebody rolls. Oh, my know. God. I think he's been in just about every <laughs> video game that they've ever done. I do remember in Baldur's Gate that you could kill him and take his stuff, but good luck. <laughs> Go save right before. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, so the the article starts out with, you know, it says D&D Driss books were built on racist stereotypes and Salvatore wants to change that. And he makes it pretty clear that nobody at Wizards of the Coast is telling him to do this. Nobody is forcing him to do this. And he said, he goes, hey, you know, when I wrote these books, I didn't know. I didn't know that I was doing something that was going to upset people. And he goes, and as many people that have written to him, um, he talks about in the interview and said, Hey, it's amazing to me that I have somebody like Driss that I can, that, that reminds me of myself. That is that outsider. He said, there's a lot of people that were like, yeah, but the rest of the drow like, Oh, wow. Look, all of the black characters are automatically evil, (laughs) you know? Uh, and, so he's decided to do something about it and to do something about it and not change anything that we already know. The drow that live in Menzo Bronson and Shesnasad in the Underdark are evil under the sway of Lolth, you know, the demon goddess. There is another community of drow, at least one, that we look at in his new book, The Starlight Enclave, which if you've read up to this point, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this book. Uh, Drist is barely in it. It really centers around Caddy uh, Bree, his wife, his father, Zacaphine, his friend, Jarlaxle, and I guess Artemis and Cherry is would be considered a friend now. Uh, it's been a long road. It's been a long road <laughs> since the Halfling's Gem. Um, but on their adventure, they come up, they find a new community of drow uh, that have been kind of isolated from the world, and it is night and day difference between what we know about drow. So you get to that where now it is not a matter of automatically when you see that race, 
you know they're immediately evil. And I mean, the way that he writes it is very well done. I mean, I like Salvatore's writing. Um, there's some parts in the book where I cried. I'm not gonna lie. Like you'll you know, Pierre me Zacafine. You'll see it if you read the book, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And like the entire community that they find accepts them and rallies behind one of the main characters when they're going through some stuff. Read the book. It is definitely not what would happen to, to tri- in a traditional drow story. You know, normally they would just stab you because you're in the way. Um, it was really well done. I love the book. I like his writing anyway. Um, and he even says, he is like, you know, uh, he's like, you know, they were always portrayed as evil no matter what. The drow were evil. Like, that was the go-to, right? He's like, and that's a trope. And a trope has a change. Ha- if once you realize that that's what you're dealing with, the trope needs to change, you know, um, because that's all it is. A trope is just a, you know, it's a literary device. It's, it changes the conversation. Like everybody that's played D and D has probably played with the edgy rogue. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a trope. Like not all, there's no way every rogue is an orphan that grew up in the streets and hides in the shadows. And, and- Although that urchin background is really good. Right? Right? It's hard <laughs> to get away from it. I, you know, but for the drow, you even see in this book, too, even drow from Menzo Bronson, um, after what happened in the last books and was happened in, like, the previous trilogy that he wrote, um, you see a lot of drow making, you know, deals. Like, uh, Luskin, which is a huge port town, is pretty much under the control of of Brigand de Garth, Jarlaxle's mercenary band. Like, they, it's an open secret now, and, like, Drow are walking the street in the surface because maybe not all of them want to worship the evil demon god that causes chaos. So they're changing it, you know, which makes sense to me. Like, you know, we, I guess, from a young age, like, I grew, we grew up in the South. Um, racism is still alive and well thinking that everybody of a certain race is a certain way stopped making sense a long time ago. And for to see that reflected in our fantasy and our novels, I think is where we needed to be. And it is, it is so good the way that he does it. Like I said, I loved from, I mean, cover to cover. I really, this might be one of my favorite books that he's written. Right. And I think um, they took steps with Tasha's, cauldron of everything yep to really bring that out even from a gameplay perspective um being able to take your your traditional primary stats from whatever race you chose and move them into something else like because you might not be you know that dwarf that has a strength and a strong constitution or you might not be that gnome who's really intelligent you know, being able to add variation to those races and really create the character the way you see it. Yeah. Um, that's been exciting. Um, I'm actually working with a group um, of friends of mine starting a new campaign. Um, most of them are have never touched D&D before. So we're starting from scratch. Most of them have no idea of fantasy, like no experience there. So, you know, I'm explaining what's a goblin, you know, like... All of these things, and I I love the freedom that I have now to show them a list of possible races, and I don't have to be like, ah, you don't want to pick that one because your stats are going to be this. No, I, I don't have to do that. I let them, they're able to choose what they want, and then we build that character idea. Yeah. 
So we we started backstories and all that, and we haven't even talked numbers because the numbers are not important at this point. It really allows you to build a character and create a story that you want, which at the end of the day, I think most of us are in for, is that storytelling aspect. I think, too, one of the, just as a general DM tip, if you are starting a campaign, if you're doing like a learn-to-play session, if you're bringing new people in... Don't worry about the numbers up front. Like, don't worry about the stats. You can play like, hey, here's going to be your stats. Don't worry about those. Tell me what character you're picturing in your head. Yep. I think that's a great way to start out, which it sounds like that's what you've done with them. Um, did we end up with a did we did we end up with the gnome uh, stripper bubble glitter? Uh, her name is Teensy Bubbles. Oh, my bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, that's exactly what we did, because. I mean, it, to sit there and tell somebody, all right, well, you're going to have, you know, an 18 strength. That's really good. To a player who has never played D&D before, that means absolutely nothing. Mm-mm. You know, they the next question is, well, is that good? Yeah. You know, instead, if you're able to sit there and design, you know, this story with them and this character, even, even backstories are exciting and can lead into so many possibilities if you just let them build the character that they want. I mean, we have <laughs> we have a Yuan T pure blood that um, is going to be a warlock, and her patron enjoys creating conflict in people. So where normally Yuan T would be a mostly evil race, um, she's not going to be that way. She's going to be trying to do good, and by doing that. That's what her patron's going to like reward her with. Oh my god! I swear, it's drifted yacht T form. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, all of these things. That's I. I mean, you allow these players and the her, the player who's going to be playing that character has never touched D anD D before. In fact, she's not really big into what we consider traditional like nerd or geek or fantasy type things, but. I mean, she's messaging me every day going, man, I can't wait to play this character or, or, hey, can we do this or can we we kind of move the story this way because I really want to try this. And, and I mean, that just shows how easy it is to build excitement just by starting with them designing their character. I think that's going to be a good time. Uh, I'm going to get in on this game. Um, I'm going to come in and play the ringer. Um, it's always good to have somebody that knows how to play. So you don't have to answer all the questions. So I'm uh, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to playing a game in person. Cause that hasn't happened uh, in a long time. So that'll be good. So with, I mean, we're talking D and D. So I guess, you know, the big elephant in the room this summer was the magic set that was released. Um, the biggest crossover of the season. Oh, <laughs> bringing in that hot drought summer, baby. Uh, it, I have never played Magic. Josh has talked to me about playing. I know you played um, for a while. Yeah, since college. I, I started back in, was it 2008? Yeah, so uh, it's it's been a while. I have never played. Um, I've seen it from afar. I get it. I get. The, but I think for me, what really intimidated me about it is the fact that there are so many cards, like... This has been going on for years, decades, and they release cards like three times a year, and I've never been involved in any of those. 
And I think that was the big thing for me. It always felt like, how am I going to know what somebody's getting ready to play against me? Like I can, it would be hard for me to anticipate. Um, but so they did a set of cards based in the forgotten realms and I had to get involved. So we decided to, uh, go to the opening event for opening weekend, the pre-release. So we went to the pre-release, um, which has been my first time. And, uh, here we'll play a little audio from my first experience with magic. All right, guys. So we uh, just got to the store. We're uh, waiting for the event to get started. Um, we walked in, and somebody from the store greets us, and they're like, "Hey, what are you here for?" We're like, "Oh, we're here for the event," which immediately moved to Josh going, "I've never. This dude's never played magic before in his life." I just want to be up front. You know, yeah. no surprises here. <laughs> the look on some people's faces, I can't tell if it was, why are you, how dare you come into our, our zone? Um, honestly, the thing that's drawn me to this is the D&D deck, right? Like, I'm a, like I'm a big D&D guy. I'm a lore guy. Like, I'm looking through, like, the named cards that are in there. Like, I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Like, I knew, like, 90% of them off the bat. Yeah. So, I didn't have a couple I had to look up. But... That's drawing me to go, all right, I will totally consider this. So that's where we are. Um, and I guess we're just waiting for signups, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So we are uh, waiting for the event. Everybody's anxious. Touch, touching their boxes like it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> They made magic cards easier to open. How did I separate these? Color. Color. Oh, look at the land. Oh, that's so good. I love that. So for those of you who can't see, it is the Temple of the Dragon Queen, but it is the old like TSR cover. That's a land. Should I separate lands? Uh, it's yeah, you can. Is that Except a mine off to the side? Okay, is it? got it. It looks like I'm probably gonna be finding in red. And you know the mighty. Yeah. I love the art. It's so good. How many packs have you opened? Uh, three. Oh, I'm way behind. My first rodeo. <laughs> Fair. Is that colorless? It's equipment. Yeah. So it should have its own staff. Flash of So I had I pulled this guy. So you're trying to get to twenty three playables. Okay. Alright, so what are you at now? Oh, you get X cards of different 
22. Okay. That's pretty good right off the bat. Um, you actually have a decent curve there. You're spread out real nice. That's what I'm kind of looking at. Um, I don't know. So count how many creatures you have. All right. So we have uh, drawn our cards. Built our decks. I am going with a blue-red deck to start with, so lots of rolling, which is just handy because I have my uh, dice with me. So, first round was a loss, but I don't think anybody's really surprised. But I did get, I did get an extra play round in, so uh, I have a better idea of what I'm doing with the deck that I have. So, good luck to us. All right, so second match was a 2-1 uh, loss, so better than the first time around. Um, that Moidekainen card is ungodly. Yeah, so uh, we'll see if we get lucky. So, uh, round three was a 2-0 loss. I don't even really know what happened. <laughs> Pretty much just, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's how that went. So, it was a good time. Um, we went to a small game shop over in Suffolk. It's definitely kind of out of the way, uh, but they had a pretty good showing. I mean, it was. Yeah, I think there was about 15, 16 people or so. Um, not not bad, all things considered, that we're still, you know, not completely out of the woods with the COVID, you know, stuff yet. This is actually the first in-person pre-release, I think, since they kind of locked everything down. So it, it was good. There were. Um, there were a couple of families that kind of showed up. It was really nice, you know, good, friendly local game store experience. Right. And I definitely got that impression. Like it was a family type game store. Uh, there was a couple of people there that showed up and were really just, I mean, good at it. The guy that I played my first match against ended up winning the whole thing. So if I'm going to get beat. I got beat by the best. Um, I'm pretty good with that. Uh, but he was also, we, I mean, he, and when I say beat, I mean crushed. Like, there was so much time left on the clock after he got done with me. And he was pretty cool. He was like, hey, do you want to play some face up so you can see what you're doing? And kind of learn some. So we were playing the cards face up so we can both see. And kind of, you know, help me out with some strategy. So that was, um, I mean, incredibly cool um, to kind of, you know, have that kind of welcoming, uh, you know, bringing into the family kind of thing. Um, but everybody else that was there, I mean, even between rounds and stuff, everybody was sitting and kind of chatting and bullshitting and just, there was no, there was nobody there that showed up to win all the magics, you know? So it was pretty good. Um, so we did do that one. Uh, I had a great time, uh, loved the artwork and the cards. Uh, I mean, for so many of the cards, I get, I, I got those cards. Like, you know, I understood what those are. I get who those characters are that they were making them about and stuff. Um, I don't think anybody did. Did anybody pull a Minskin boo? Uh, no, I don't think that that's actually seemed to be one of the harder ones to get from the few pre-releases we went to. 
because uh, there was one guy trying to buy he would buy all the boo tokens <laughs> <laughs> so but i don't think anybody got any i i'm pretty sure nobody got minx either but uh yeah overall like the set is just really well designed um it definitely carries the the normal kind of course at corset type of mechanics and things like that um magic uses the corset every year they design it specifically for newer players right. so there's there's less mechanics and less keywords that are newer so that a person coming in can kind of pick up the game and understand it and learn it before they move on to other sets that are going to have more difficult rules interactions and things like that yeah and overall i think they did a really good job with of course the design i mean it it just bleeds the forgotten realms oh, it does it, it's so so wonderful with everything from you know the named characters as well as just the general monsters i mean the gelatinous cube you got mind flayers in there rust uh, monsters yeah um, there's even zorn there's a zorn in there um so it, it's it was just overall just really well done uh, the set itself is really balanced um, pretty well among the colors. Mm-hmm. Um, they did something pretty cool in the insert for each pre-release. It showed you the color combinations and kind of what that color combination is trying to do. So like red, black looks to generate treasure tokens. Red, blue looks to roll dice, um, all, all sorts of things like that. So that was that was a really cool addition. Um, and with one of the new mechanics being the dice rolling on the cards, uh, I like that they included a randomized D20 in the starter sets or in the pre-release packs, as opposed to your normal spin down life counters. Right, right. I mean, I, it wasn't the dungeon. Uh, that was a new mechanic as well. Yeah, that was also a new mechanic. Right. You work your way through a dungeon when a card grants you the ability to move into the dungeon or to move further. Um, which grants different things for you as you go on um, deeper into the dungeon. You have like three of them uh, that you can keep track of where you are. And then there were a lot of dragons. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's normal from other magic sets, but there were definitely like they covered the basics of dungeons yeah. and dragons. There's there's at least two dragons in every color pairing. Yeah. Um, and then of course you have Tiamat is also a card in the set. Um, which is of course five colors and all that kind of goodness. Um, so yeah, they, they definitely did well in that regards. Um, they brought back a fun mechanic with some of the, the creature lands that ones that you can pay certain mana and those lands actually become the type of creature. Um, there was really good flavor in those, um, cause you had like the cave of the frost dragon, Comes a three four dragon. You had the hive of the eye tyrant. Mm, I saw that um, one. And then like the den of the bugbear was another one. So just again, the flavor in this set is as someone who both enjoys magic and D and D is been excellent. I I've played so much of this set on Magic Arena. I I can't even begin to tell you how many drafts I've done. Probably somewhere close to fifty or sixty. And every time it's just. I love the cards. I love looking at, you know, the different um, pieces that they pull from Dungeons and Dragons and just all around. It's it's one of my favorite sets, which is saying a lot. So once the new set comes out, because that's happening here, in what, a month or so? 
I think it's the end of this month, actually. Okay. So when the new set comes out, what happens to this set? So with Magic, there are multiple formats um, ranging from... So the initial format that you can play just the set is called Limited. Uh, it is where you basically get packs and you open up those packs and you build decks based off of those packs. Um, that's the gist of Limited. Uh, your next step up from that is going to be Standard. Uh, which standard includes the most recent sets. Okay. So standard rotates every year. It drops off three sets as it's adding the next three sets. Um, the last three sets actually are due to drop off as this one comes back or this new one comes on. So there will be uh, three sets before Adventures in Forgotten Realms, Adventures in Forgotten Realms, and then the new set, which is based in the Innistrad. So those will be what composes standard. Uh, and then you have things like modern and legacy, which those are the sets that really pull from older generations of cards. There might be one or two cards out of a new set that gets added to an archetype in those, but it's not often that that happens. Uh, then you have things like commander, which is a crazy set. It, it's, it's a hundred card deck that is all different cards. Uh, one of my favorite ways to play actually because uh, you can just do some crazy like power gaming stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much the majority. You can still play the set. Uh, they will probably, I know, especially on Magic Online, until the new set drops, there's always going to be, you can always draft right. this set. Um, and even then, of course, you can play standard on there. So, so that's been our summer. <laughs> like I said, we were moving. We were not set up, so... Uh, now that we're back, hopefully uh, we can get back on a schedule and be putting out an episode every couple of weeks. Um, hopefully, if you still are out there listening, um, tell your friends, you know, spread it around. Let us know. Um, check out our Instagram, our Facebook page. Um, if you have anything you would like to talk to us about or something that you want to send us, feel free. And, you know, things like uh, the Know Your Character segment, if you have a character you want us uh, to look at and to talk about on here, uh, like we've done a couple of times, uh, the sheet should be up on our Facebook page. So feel free to just kind of send us that information and uh, we'll be sure to put it on the show. We're looking forward to it. Um, getting back after a good break and uh, let's roll into some games we play. The Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth. It was designed by Nathan Hadjik and Grace Holdinghouse and published by Fantasy Flight Games. It's best described as a dungeon crawl game that uses a modular tile system where players explore many parts of Middle-Earth. Players start by choosing a character from Tolkien's classic novels and build a deck of equipment and skills that they will use to make attacks and complete skill challenges while exploring an ever-expanding map. The game is run by an app that randomly generates what tiles to use and what challenges will need to be completed, all while following a specific quest outline. There are two types of maps in the game, journey maps and battle maps. Journey maps make use of the tiles that are placed as the board gets explored by the players, and battle maps use a singular large area with terrain and objects that can be interacted with. Throughout the course of the campaign, players will use both of these maps as they try to complete the objectives and progress the story forward. 
Currently, the game has three expansions that are for sale outside of the original base game. Um, each one includes multiple new enemies, more tiles, and new heroes that the players can play as. Overall, the game is an excellent use of the app. It builds off of what Fantasy Flight learned with the original Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Um, to actually go one step further, instead of having a set board game every time you play, the game changes the map and chooses new tiles randomly so that every game that you play, even if it's the same quest, will be a different map layout for the game. So, I honestly didn't think I was going to enjoy this game as much as I did. I like the idea of this game because of, it is, like, you are given a quest, and it is very much kind of a role-playing game boiled into a board game, is the impression that I got from it. Uh, One of the things that I enjoy about this game is the way the app controls things for you. Uh, It is, uh, like we talked about in the intro for it, um, it builds upon what Mansions of Madness Second Edition did, which I don't know that you, if you've played that game, I have not. Um, but I played a few or quite a few games of it, um, which starts out with pretty much a set map. There is some variation to it, but mostly you know what you're going to get. Um, the differences in it are the way that the challenges work and the way the enemies move. Uh, but this kind of takes that a step further, where every time you're playing using the journey maps that layout will change. Right, right. I saw that with the app. Um, as we were playing, we first, we, we chose our characters, um, and I went with, I think I went with Gimli? Yes. Yes. Because he's a dwarf with a large axe, and that really just fits my play style. Um, you were using Eowyn? I think it was Eowyn. Yeah. So more of kind of the scout, more aloof, ranged attack well that's one of the things you can change kind of your class uh, per se and what it does is changes the cards that you are able to draw from in your deck right uh so there are multiple different things i know you played as the guardian i believe so yeah yeah so there's like the guardian there's the um there's the captain there's the hunter and a couple others like that and they all kind of have their their skill set their geared towards with the cards uh but overall i mean you can really you can play whatever character you want with whatever class you want the game does recommend certain classes with characters just you know for people beginning like this is kind of what you want to play with first uh but it's definitely not restrictive in any way no no and that was one of the things with your cards um when you play uh you have ability cards drawn out that you can use. It really did feel like you had a lot of options for dealing with, you know, whatever the challenge may be, whether it be combat or something else. Right. It uses a similar testing system uh, to mansions of madness in that you flip cards looking for successes, uh, which I kind of enjoy a little bit more than like a, a complete random dice rolling, at least when it comes to board games. So that that was kind of refreshing. I enjoyed that, and it felt familiar at the same time. So that always helped. Um, I also enjoyed the way that they integrated like the battle map system. Yes. So when it was uh, basically a boss fight, <laughs> is is what it comes down to. Uh, you have instead of having to pursue the boss across all these map tiles, it just offers terrain and 
like object pieces that your character can interact with in different ways. Right. I like that too. Uh, what was it like the campfire and stuff that you put in? Right. When we were setting the map up. My first impression was like, Oh stuff. But there are, you know, certain interactions can cause, uh, you know, different train features to be more or less effective. So, but it's a very tactical map. And the one we were, there was a couple of them that were rough. Like, I mean, the bosses, the bosses are no bullshit. Yeah, I I know the the one thing I like too is that your progress carries over not just if you completed it but how well you completed right, it. Right. Right. So, for instance, um one of the first quests that you're doing, you're trying to pursue um like or pursue rumors about some robbers or something like that, and you end up finding like this orc camp where there shouldn't be an orc camp. Uh and depending on how quickly you're able to discern that information and actually get to the camp determines how hard the battle map fight is in the next quest. Right. Right. It, yeah. Carry that carries over and, um, the, uh, you can upgrade. Well, I know we didn't get a big chance to upgrade cause we didn't play far enough into it. And it takes a lot for you to like get the experience to get the, the ability to upgrade your weapons, to upgrade your skills. There's a lot of game in this box. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, let's uh, let's go into talking about it then. Um, when let's talk about value, the base set. What are we looking at? Uh, so base set MSRP, if I remember correctly, is a hundred dollars. Uh, just straight up. Uh, oftentimes you'll find, especially because it's a little older now, you can find it on sale at certain places. Normally get like 30 percent off of it. Um, it's it's worth every penny of that $100, um, especially if you are a Lord of the Rings fan. One thing I liked especially is that it wasn't all the headliner characters. Yes, um, they are in there. Yeah, so the original base set um, comes with uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli being your, your main three. Um, but then there are also three other characters that are from his lesser known novels. So that that's really cool. Some of the expansion characters, I know the first big box expansion they came out with had Gandalf in it. So, I mean, that's that's one of the the big ones and the newest one that just came out um has a couple others in there, uh Bjorn being one of them. Uh the the guy who could turn into a giant bear, which I mean, again, who doesn't want that? Uh but Nonetheless, uh, this the value just for the base game. I, there is a ton of game in the box. Plus, in the app, there's actually an expansion that you can purchase that still uses base game components. So it's like a second little quest line that you can get without having to buy any additional like pieces. Right, right. There was. Um, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like there's a couple of different expansions. Uh, like big box expansions, and then there's some of the smaller one, um, which Fantasy Flight games, they're kind of known for miniature games anyway. Uh, They've definitely asserted themselves, especially with this type of game. Um, I know the Mansions of Madness miniatures were awesome, and these are actually really well done as well. Yeah, yeah, I like these. They were they were clean. Um, when we talk about components, the miniatures that you get, they look really good. Um, they are clean. You don't have a lot of like, uh, mold lines or anything on them. They look like they're ready to paint. If you were so inclined to do that, um, the cards and everything, like I said, are pretty basic. I think they're pretty standard. 
uh, but the pieces that you were able to pull out and the train features and stuff like that um, were done really well. I mean, the artwork that's on them is, I mean, it's a map, um, but I think it was done really well. The companion app that goes along with this really is what makes this game for me. The way that it randomizes as you're playing. Um, and I guess that would be kind of a component. Um, but just I think it's something to be aware that, you know, you need your smartphone or your tablet or whatever out to, you know, to keep that going. Because that's going to be what actually pushes the game forward. It tells you which map tiles to lay down. It tells you when the bad guys are supposed to move. Um it, and it gives you a lot of information that's essential to play in the game. Yep. One of the things I like is that it keeps track of the enemy's health and things like that as well. So it, it takes a lot of pressure off of, you know, anybody having to, to follow all that stuff. It, you really, it, it takes the place of you needing almost like a GM to run it. Right, right. And then that's kind of, like I said, it, this game for me feels like a role-playing game that has been boiled down into a board game. And I think they did really well with it. And a lot of that centers around that app, the companion app that goes with it. Uh, gameplay. Like we've talked, there's a lot of game in this box. Um, the randomization is one thing. So you, you know, you're not going to play the same game twice. The ability to change characters and to change classes on those characters gives you something new to play with every time. Um, but just in general, I mean, the quest line is definitely something that is designed to be a multi-session kind of setup. Yeah, I think one of the hardest parts with the game was keywords, um, because there is a lot of, there there are a lot of different keywords. Uh, Once you finally get a grasp on them, then everything kind of makes more sense. But I know in our first few kind of plays, there was a lot of, Wait a second. What does that mean again? All right. So that's okay. That's what that does. What what is that word? Right. Right. Uh, and uh, which again, that kind of comes with the territory of learning any kind of new game. I don't, I don't think there's a way to really get around that. But that is kind of one of the struggles with gameplay. Um, if you're not used to kind of hobby level games, it can be a little overwhelming when you open up this box and you have you know six stacks of cards that are all a couple inches high as well as all these tiles everywhere that have numbers on them. So uh, I can definitely see this being more of a hobbyist board gamer type game. Um, but it definitely, I mean, it definitely has a lot of good solid gameplay in it. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't recommend this for anybody uh, that's pretty new to the hobby just because when we opened it up uh, there, like you said, there are, several stacks of cards and you have to separate them and figure out which card. I mean, you're looking at, you know, maybe six or seven different decks of cards that are going to come along with this. And I can only imagine if it was put to put back in the box wrong, how much of a pain that's going to be to separate. Right. And I think it helps. So the initial setup when you're first starting a campaign takes a little bit, but once like we went back for like the second mission and things like that, it was a whole lot easier because we, we just kept our decks together. Right. Um, so that, that made everything nice and, and easy in that regard. Um, again, it, not necessarily something for a new gamer, but um, it's, I think it's definitely a rewarding experience. It's, it's one of those games that is pretty unique in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with the IP that they're using, 
Right. It's yeah. it's classic fantasy. Um, replayability. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you get a lot that we always tie that back into like a lot of the value in the gameplay because you can get a lot out of this. There's a lot. I mean, you're, this could be something that you play multiple times with, you know, even if you use, even if you're playing with the same group and get a different gaming experience out of it. Right. I playing with a group playing by yourself, even, uh, cause you can play this solo. You just two hand. So you run two different characters. Right. Um, and there, it's not that complicated that it's impossible to do. Um, so, Again, the way that the app f- changes things, um, you still have um, kind of a general idea because I had played the first quest once before, before we played, and I kind of knew the direction we were going. I knew kind of what we had to do, but the way the game presents it, there's no clear like, all right, we need to go to this one. You can ignore this one and this one, and then we can work that way. Uh, because you don't know what's behind those little quest markers. Right. So, uh, let's rate it. Value. One, uh, <laughs> one out of ten? Is that the scale we use? I don't know. It's been a while, guys. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I I definitely think the value here is a, a solid eight. I mean, that $100 price point of MSRP, is it can kind of keep some people out. But I mean, I'm looking Amazon right now is it for sixty three bucks, right? So and I all day this is this is a sixty three dollar game, like all day, yeah, easily. And I, I think the only time like I I neglected buying it for a little while because of that high price point, but I think I picked it up um, actually from like a Target buy two get one free sale, and so I ended up paying about seventy bucks for it. So and it's it's easily worth that price point um, as far as components, pieces, all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, I, I think just that value is just easily ingrained in it. Right. Right. I don't think uh, as far as components go, they do anything overly spectacular, like, you know, seven, maybe. Um, but they're good. They're solid. Everything is what you expect from fantasy flight games. Right. This this is definitely not your kickstarter every mini is like over the top and you know crazy you know and there's a thousand of them it's not not that level but definitely everything's solid the the enemies all have specifically defined miniatures and they're different enough where it's easy to tell right um you know your goblins all look the same but that's okay like it whatever um and I, I think that's fine, especially for a game like this. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's nothing over the top, but it's definitely competent. I, I mean, they're good plastic. The cards are really in good condition, considering we don't. I don't have any of those sleeved. Right. Um, and just the card sock and everything of them, just nice, solid. I mean, it's it's the stuff you expect out of a big company like Fantasy Flight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, gameplay. Um, I, I probably give this one probably a nine because it's, it's really clean. Like I said, once you get past learning the keywords, um, and are able to kind of work past those after that, I mean, the app runs it. Yeah. And all you got to do is show up and play your character and then you're good to go. Uh, so I, I really think that makes a big difference, um, and really elevates that gameplay. 
a lot of a lot of people can have problems with apps because they bring up you know what's going to happen in the future when you know that app kind of dies out or whatever but i mean playing what we've played i feel like i've gotten my 70 dollars worth absolutely yeah like if i don't pick this game up ever again which i don't foresee that happening because i really want gandalf i feel like i've gotten my money's worth sure sure that and i mean the the app dying off i mean you're looking at years, like decades down the road, where I where I see that I see them supporting this for a very long time, even if it's just on the back burner. Like, what does it take just to keep the Lord of the Rings app alive? Right. You know. So, uh, so yeah, I'll agree. Definitely, the game plan it was like I like I said, I had way more fun with this than I thought I was going to. I thought this was going to be, especially when we opened up that big box. I thought this was going to be way more of kind of like a trudging through it and. It was definitely exciting. Um, getting into combat was, you know, it felt like, you know, we're going into combat. Just like, you know, when you're playing an RPG, you know, that is what it felt like for me. Uh, replayability, like we talked about, I think the app randomizing everything makes it easy. Um, the fact that you can play different characters, you can switch up their classes. You can switch up how you play those characters. I mean... You could play it a dozen times and get, I think, 12 different experiences. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Especially when you start to add in expansions and things like that. Because I think both of the big box expansions add six new characters. Um, So, (laughs) Right, and there's a a lot to grow on from, you know, Tolkien's uh, world that he designed. So you can see it in the expansions and in the new characters and in the new sets that they're bringing in for it. So overall... Uh, I think I'd probably put this like an eight, maybe an eight and a half overall, because I, I really do think um, this is this is one of the better games that I've played to kind of come out in recently. Right. Right. Um, I I do think that this I, I love obviously I love the IP. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Um, always have been. Can't believe the movies are 20 years old this year. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um but still being able to take this IP and turn something fresh out of it is is really cool and exciting. Um, something that I enjoyed. Um, just a combination of the game itself, the gameplay. I mean, this is one of those that I can see myself as I develop, you know, more different gaming groups and get them kind of used to kind of these deeper and heavier games. Like I could easily see this being a game that I bring out and going, hey, let's let's give this one a shot. Right, right. It, like I said, it definitely isn't for like a beginner board gamer. Um, but overall, I mean, eight and a half. It just it is so good, and the app is so well done with it. I think it just takes it to another level, like you said. So there you go, Lord of the Rings: Journeys in Middle Earth. If you're a uh, Diehard board gamer, I really think you'll get a kick out of this. If you're a Tolkien fan, you know, or if you're looking to step up and you want to play one of these bigger games, this is a great one to start with. It's also one of the first games that we've reviewed that has a companion app, and I, I think this is the standard by which a lot of these companion apps can be judged. It's just so well done.
So we know it's been a long time for us, but as we traditionally do, we're going to go ahead and close out the show with our Kickstarter roundup. We got a couple of good projects here to take a look at. Uh, one of them being something that's near and dear to our heart with uh, Calic Shelves. Um, those of you who are around the board game community know very much that uh, Calyx by Ikea has been endorsed by many different popular board game reviewers um, and many YouTube channels. You can find their backdrops actually created by using these shelves and filling them with board games. Um, so that's definitely an exciting one that we want to talk about. Uh, we also have a 5e supplement, uh, which we brought these in um, every now and then. This one specifically, though, offers 10 brand new classes and over a hundred subclasses. So definitely something to uh, take a look at there if you're looking for an exciting way to spice up your 5e game. Uh, some people have even described this as Player's Handbook 2.0, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, then lastly, we have a board game for you uh, that comes from uh, kind of the Age of Sail. Uh, some really... Uh, salty sea dogs if you will uh looking for uh, dominance out on the ocean so without further ado let's hop into our first one. First up the lax racks so uh, if you are storing board games if you know what we're talking about with the calyx shelves one of the things that uh, that a lot of people have trouble with is how to store them and I, now I've just moved. I finally have a game room and I'm setting it up and I picked up a couple of different sets of the Calyx shelves and figuring out how to put the board games in there has been a pain. Um, right now I have them sitting on their side, which apparently you should not do. Um, especially if you watch this video that comes along with this, what the lax racks allow you to do is it gives you a, a system to put uh, dowel rods and add extra shelf space so that you can store your board games horizontally. And you can put multiple board games inside the shelves, and it keeps them very neat. Um, they're going to hold your even your big heavy games that you've got, you know, your Box of Nemesis, your Gloomhaven, your big games that, you know, weigh four or five pounds. The, they say that they're going to hold them. Uh, the campaign is funded. So, and I mean, way funded. They are at 246,000 um, out of the 11,000 they originally were working for. <laughs> uh, the campaign also has uh, 13 days left to go as time of recording. Uh, so there's definitely a little bit of time to get involved in this. Uh, one of the big benefits to this I see is just longevity of your games. Even if you if you didn't have a system like this, you could store your games horizontally. But the constant pulling and trying to fit them back in, because you know you'll always want to play the game that's on the bottom of the shelf, uh, it can cause wear and tear on the boxes over time. Uh, this is just another way to make sure that your games stay fresh for longer. Uh, the, so there's a bunch of different levels you can back at. Um, the first kind of level that starts with the shelves... Um, is $29. Uh, it basically allows you to create 12 different shelves, uh, which for me, who is somebody who owns a 5x5 five five Calyx, 
is nowhere near enough. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> that doesn't even get you started. Yeah. Uh, but if you have a smaller collection, uh, perhaps you have one of maybe the four cube calyx or something like that. This would be a great place to start. Uh, it allows you to really um, do the separation and build it the way you want it. One of the things I do like about the campaign is also the inclusion of the acrylic shelves. So you can kind of mix and match. Uh, I know in my Calyx, I actually have a couple of the doors that you can buy with them. Um, they kind of offset just the general openness of it. It also allows me to store some kind of smaller games and things like that that don't really fit well on the shelf. Um, the next level of uh, that you can pledge at is actually at $55. Um, and it doubles the amount of racks that you get. So you can actually do 24 um, different shelves. So it, they go up from there. Uh, they go all the way, all the way up to the highest tier, which is $289 which uh, gives you enough parts to do 75 shelves and 24 heavy-duty shelves. It also includes five acrylic display shelves and two of these pocket game organizer drawers, which are kind of separated pieces that can fit in there um, that give you a place for those smaller games. I've been watching the videos on this and just kind of how they work, and I really like that you know you put your game in, and then you can set the shelf like where you want to put it. Um, it makes it look like it's easy to install uh, and then easy to put everything in. So it'll hold the way that you want to. The acrylic shelves look great. I've actually got a couple of my Calyx boxes that are dedicated to minis. So having that acrylic shelf in there um, looks like it's going to work out really well for me. Uh, like you said, I, I think the you start getting the, you start getting into those acrylic shelves at the Rax Deity, which is like $149. Um, you can also get them as add-ons, yeah, too. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. So a couple of the add-ons that I do like for this, um, they have a couple. One of them is a dry erase play count stickers. Uh, so those are pretty cool. They're almost like little uh, miniature pennants that you can put on the side of your board games that have a dry erase section. So you can record the amount of times you've played games. Uh, it might help you if you ever get around to um, culling your game collection, see which ones you have played or, or more often. Uh, also, they have these stands. They're called Display Stands of Striking Wonder. Um, it's $24 for a three-pack. Basically, it's an acrylic stand, um, little A-frame stand that you can put up on top of your various um, shelves and you can actually display some of your more cumbersome board games up like that or ones that maybe you have a collector's edition of of something like that just something you want to really show off uh, this is awesome because there are games out there that are odd shaped or odd sized looking at you gloomhaven <laughs> we all know and having something like this to be able to display them um is still kind of with your games, but yet separate uh, where it's not taking an awkward space in your shelf, I think is, is an excellent idea as well. All right. Next up. Valda's Spire of Secrets. It is a colossal expansion for D&D 5th edition. Or so they say. Um, some of the things that they say you're going to find in here. Ten new base classes. Five new races. 150 subclasses for every class, 50 plus new feats, um, an arsenal of exotic weapons, new magic items, 
130 brand new spells. Uh, like we said, rolling into this, a lot of people have said that this is the player's handbook 2.0. Um, this is massive. And just kind of looking through it, I've already decided that I want to play a, uh, a way of the mercy monk teddy bear. I don't know what this race is, but it's a teddy bear with a sword and a shield. So I'm in. <laughs> um, so this is actually produced by Mage Hand Press, um, which has had quite a few good um, fifth edition supplements. Uh, and from some of just the different reviews and stuff, reading about them, a lot of their stuff seems to be really highly play tested um, and balanced accordingly. So, um, again, we always recommend with homebrew items, you know, use them at your own peril. But it helps now with the community with things like DMs Guild and those kind of outlets. Uh, it really helps with homebrewing um, opportunities getting tested a lot more to see just kind of where they fall in comparison to some of the traditional actually printed things. So this project is already backed. They're at 267. They originally were looking for 40 grand to start with. Uh, they're at 200 and 267,000. Um, and it has 21 days left on the project. So they have a lot of different add-ons. You can do everything from pins to there's a leather or actually those are still locked by stretch goals. Uh, there is a mahogany dice box. Um, there is a GM screen. So they do still have add-ons that are waiting to be unlocked. Um, there's a couple books. Um, there's a Christmas one shot <laughs> that if they get to 350 K, um, is something that is actually free. So there's a bunch of different stuff in here. Um, so tier levels, uh, they have basically recreated a starter set, um, that is good for both new players and veterans alike. Um, for 25 bucks, you get the physical version of the starter set as well as a PDF version. Um, so not bad there. Um, to get the actual Spire of Secrets, you're looking at $35 for the PDF version. Uh, $60 gets you a hardcover as well as a PDF copy. Um, or you can go with the version that is geared already towards Roll20 um, or Foundry. So you can get that plus the PDF versions of them as well for $60. Um, the tiers go up from there uh, all the way up to the highest, which is $285. Uh, it gets you a lot of... I was going to say, it looks like there are all the things in there. Yeah, like you get the you get the starter kit, you get the GM screen, you get spell cards, you get a pack of minis for their new races, uh, you get some cool dice... You get a dice vault, like you get all kinds of stuff uh, with that ultimate tier. Uh, this is definitely one that I'm excited to check out. Um, haven't decided if I want to go with the PDF version or get a hard copy. I just I like the way books feel. Yeah, I'm the same way. I yeah, uh, but definitely one that I'm interested to check out. Uh, I love having new stuff to play with. Uh, so I, I'm always a fan of including and um, letting players use homebrew content 
and then we'll see we evaluate it as we go sometimes we've got to dial it back sometimes it's good to go so it's one of those things where you know use it at your own peril but this one definitely looks exciting and it definitely looks like it's they fleshed out a lot of it you can see some of the classes that you can find in the book just looking at the website or at the uh the project so yeah yeah this one's kind of exciting uh all right, last on our list. I saw this one, um, and I wanted to throw this on for a couple of reasons. It has 20 days left. It is at 11000 out of 18000 So this one's not funded yet. And looking at it, I think I kind of understand why. It is not really flashy. Um, the name of the game is Old Salt. Now, for somebody who's been a sailor their entire adult life, like I get it. Right, and I am a huge fan of military and naval history. Anyway, like Master and Commander was one of my favorite movies. Uh, the book was really good as well. This kind of speaks to me on that level. Old Salt is a board game where you are engaging in ship-to-ship combat on a map. Um, it's in like a hexagon hexagon grid. Your pieces are hexagons. Um, they fit perfectly there. It just, it looks like it plays really smooth. Um, basically you can move your ships and you, it's about kind of like how fantasy flight did X wing. You got to move your ships into position. Um, you've got to take up ground. You got to capture islands, you know, so you're getting into that, uh, kind of ground, uh, uh, ground command type game, uh, at sea. Um, your ships have different firing arcs, which is kind of traditional. If you've ever played anything, uh, with like an age of sail feel to it, you get that from it. Um, I really like how they set that up. Yeah. I really like the, uh, the aesthetic of the art and stuff in this, um, everything from the board and to the tokens, it's all kind of that old school wooden weathered look. Yeah, uh, which I think is is really cool in a game like this. But like you said, it's not extremely flashy. There's not a bunch of miniatures or anything like that, which is probably why it hasn't been funded yet. Uh, but overall, it does look pretty exciting. Uh, I like a lot of the the different combat mechanics and stuff that they introduce here. Um, I also like that it's just pretty straightforward. Right. It looks like it is a very it's a simple game with a lot of options is what I'm seeing. Um, you've got the different, uh, you've got different ships. You can build a fleet, uh, from, you know, uh, some of the, some of the ships have exceptional marksmanship. Some of them are tougher. Some of them are faster. Um, the grid movement allows you to move your ships together. So your fleet kind of moves together. Um, so you can set them up the way you need to, uh, you roll dice for your attacks you control areas, like I said, with uh, by claiming islands on the map. And then you have, you know, a few different races, player powers, factions that you can take on to give you a little bit of a different flavor. Uh, let me see. Like I said, nothing really crazy about it. Uh, as far as tiers go, it's only got three tiers. Right. You have the the first tier, which is basically you just pledge a dollar so you can get access to the pledge manager to decide later on if you want to join in. Uh, if you are a brick and mortar store, they have a two dollar pledge 
which will basically let them know what you are and get in contact of how you can get copies of the game for your store. And then for just the everyday person, it's uh, 59 bucks to pledge for the game. You get a copy of the game, you get all unlocked stretch goals, um, and then access to the pledge manager to do add-ons and things like that. There's a couple of good reviews on here, and you can try... Is this the one? Yeah, I think you can try this out on... Yep, on Tabletop Simulator. So if you have Tabletop Simulator, this game is available to you. You can give it a shot. It says, you know, you can play it in about 25 minutes. Really simple setup. Really simple kind of gameplay. But it looks really smooth. It looks very well done. Go check them out. Um, Let's see if we can't get them over the hump in the next couple weeks. And actually get this game funded. And with that last little bit, we slip the last bit of contraband past the sheriff. And we are done for this show. Thank you all for coming back again and spending some time with us. It's It's been too long. For the Dapper Meeple, I've been Jim. And I'm Josh. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. Hey, if you enjoyed what we're doing here, follow us and leave a like. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at the Dapper Meeple or at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table.